It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. At the bottom of the hour, General Jack Keane joins us, bring, in, bring us inside the conflict with Israel and Hamas. And I'm not forgetting what's going on in Afghanistan. Our exit has been smooth for us, but bad for the Afghans and the legacy in which we're leaving 20 years later. We'll discuss that along with uh, a lot of things going on at the Pentagon. I find it unbelievably disturbing. Handing out a cartoon, basically animation of a of a of a woman who's got gender identity issues, who was adopted, and that what happened to the rugged look of be all you can be, and going in and and trying to attract the next great fighter who who's going to join the best army in the world. I want to go talk to General about that, and I'll also take your calls. And you could always write us and, and get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President and many other figures this week stated that Israel has a right to self-defense. But do Palestinians have a right to survive? And the United States must acknowledge its role <clears throat> in the injustice and human rights violations of Palestinians. Exactly. Harry Truman, how dare you give Israel a country? What were you thinking with the Balfour Declaration coming from the United Nations? How dare they defend themselves after being attacked by six Arab nations in 48, and then again in 67, and then in 73? Israel not letting up on pounding Hamas with 60 airstrikes in the face of 90 rockets from Gaza. President Biden not demanding a ceasefire, but recommending it. But he's getting attacked from his left wing. You just heard AOC. She's enraged. So is the squad. So is Bernie Sanders. Look for the administration to cave to the pressure. Number two. Employers are begging people to work, and we shouldn't be giving extra compensation for someone to sit home. That needs to end. Uh, We ended it. We terminated Arkansas. Yes, uh, 21 states. 21 states have rejected supplemental unemployment payments. It's 8 million jobs remain unfilled in this nation. Gas prices are rising. Inflation is creeping up. The border is overrun. Biden's approval is dropping as a picture emerges of a volatile president unable to make any quick decisions. Dems and the administration are at a true crisis point. Do they realize it? Number one. We're just not ready yet. You're asking somebody who's at at the hardware store working there or in a retail or a grocery store to make the judgment on who's vaccinated, who's not. If we can save only one more life by waiting a couple of weeks longer, uh, I'll sign up for that. Yeah, by wiping somebody's nose and telling them what to do and looking out for them, really? We have to look out for the unvaccinated that needs nails or a two by four at a hardware store? Pandemic panic. The science says take off the mask, get back to life. More and more businesses can go back to what they do best, doing business. Dem states are slow to turn around. New Jersey flat out says no. And oh yeah, remember when Texas dropped all COVID-19 restrictions and Joe Biden called it Neanderthal thinking? Texas reported zero deaths, a dramatic decrease in cases. Joe, is it that hard to say you're sorry? Because Mississippi too and all those anchors, those... 
uh, condescending anchors, talking to those horrible Republican governors, saying, how could you do this and be so irresponsible? You were right. But Anthony Fauci never studies the success stories, just likes to caution you about getting back to your life. Remember when Joe Biden said this, cut one. I think it's a big mistake. Look, I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. The last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. Listen, and right there, the last thing you need is the president of the United States calling you out as governor. But that's what he chose to do. Donald Trump called people out. I'm not saying that it was to the benefit of the country. So you watched in Texas and the numbers went down. People went outdoors. The, the sun came up. The president was right a year ago when he said getting outdoors will help. President Xi told him that. And that ends up being right. What he did is lie about the nature of the virus, which is another conversation. But getting outside helps. Now think about this. What did they tell us? Don't go to the beach. Don't go outside unless you absolutely have to. Just go there to pick up food or get it delivered. They'll leave it on your step. You don't have to walk out until they leave. But in the end, vitamin D was absolutely necessary. Sun would have helped. Being outside reduces almost to, uh, to, to almost zero the chances of contracting the virus. Here's what Bill McGurn said. And I think it really encapsulates exactly how I feel about everything. You don't have to be right. But you have to have a sense of humility. Cut seven. The problem with the CDC is not the science. You know, it's the way that they present. They've fumbled this long before this decision. It's the way it's been presented as sacred and absolute and beyond question. Nothing wrong with not knowing something in the beginning of a crisis and learning more later. But there's been absolutely no modesty in pushing forward these diktats. And so people are very skeptical today. No kidding. So when you come out on Tuesday and say, you know, we got to keep the masks and we got to follow the science and then you come out on Thursday and say, if you've been vaccinated, you likely can't get it and you can't transmit it. Therefore, take the mask off, go indoors and outdoors. It doesn't matter. So the science was right. Why did you just throw it on people? I was fine with making the adjustment. I'm bad when they make an announcement that I can't go out. You can't go out to eat. You can't hop on a, a car. You can't hop on a plane. That's the problem. I was able to adjust it, but I was definitely taken aback by the quick change of course. Jerome Adams, the former Surgeon General, says that's absolutely the message was right. The methods were wrong. Cut six. Here's what people need to know. There's individual risk and there's institutional risk. Individually, if you are fully vaccinated two weeks out from your last dose, then the additional benefit of you wearing a mask or social distancing is minimal. However, if you're going into an institution, uh, a facility, an organization, a store where you don't know who else is vaccinated, where everyone doesn't know whether or not the person next to them is vaccinated, then it becomes incumbent on that institution to create an environment where people feel safe. Okay. Number one, this is where I differ. You go into Home Depot without a mask on and you're not vaccinated and you don't have the antibodies. No one ever talks about people that had it and have the antibodies, whether you should or shouldn't go get a vaccine. But go ahead. You go in there and, and you take, put yourself at risk. It's not my problem. I got a vaccination. You chose not to. I respect that. But you could get it. 
It's not that they have to wait to your age bracket or income bracket or your race or your gender. You chose not to. I'm going to Home Depot without a mask. I'm not going to wait for you to get vaccinated. And if you chose not to, that's fine. That's what Friday's decision means to me and should mean to you. So you got to lead by example. During the campaign, all we heard was Joe Biden can't get out of the basement. He wants to set an example. Joe Biden goes out. He's got to wear a mask. He wants to set an example. Joe Biden has a rally. He's going to say, go in your car. I want to set an example. Now Joe Biden still going outdoors with a mask over the weekend. And this mayor from Chicago also, even though Illinois is releasing their mask mandate and all their restrictions, she says, I'm still wearing a mask. Why? Why are you wearing a mask? Are you a leader or not? The other big story is coming out, and I'm not going to forget about this, and I'll talk more about it in the next two hours, is Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo, now it turns out, we get, get indications are, and we have confirmation that he got a $5 million advance, $5 million to sell his book on pandemic leadership that sold 50,000 copies, which shows they took a bath with these editors. This guy was in the middle of a second surge was in denial about the 15,000 nursing home deaths, has nine accusers of personal sexual misconduct and harassment, and the way he's handled that is thuggish. $5 million. And he's accused of using his staff to help write it. How does this guy still have a job? Miranda Devine weighed in. She's been all over this with the New York Post, cut nine. And it's incredibly... uh obscene that he's made so much money out of this. He was writing a book while people were dying. How callous do you have to be? Especially when you are responsible. It is your fault that 15,000 elderly people died of COVID in nursing homes because you issued the order that infected people should be sent from hospitals into those nursing homes, which went against all the known science. We knew that in Florida that Governor DeSantis did the opposite. He moved to look after the nursing homes, look after the elderly, protect them, because they are the ones who are most at risk from COVID. And you had Andrew Cuomo just puffing himself up on television every day, being fated by the great and the good, given an Emmy treated as if he was some sort of a hero. And as you said, he Mm -hmm. was the antithesis, supposedly, of Donald Trump. That's Miranda Devine wondering how, you know, Governor Northam did his blackface thing, dressed for the KKK guy in his yearbook. He just withstood it, sold out to the left and withstood it. He's been selling out to the left, as is Governor Cuomo, and somehow through these investigations, he's withstood it. I don't get it. Hopefully Lee Zeldin wins that race for governor. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take some calls next, but I do want to go over something with the economy. Do you notice how much gas is? You all did. Do you notice how long the lines are up and down the East Coast, especially in Virginia? Um, It's pretty uh, unbelievable. The gas outages in the U.S., 7% of the gas stations are out in Alabama. In Washington, D.C., 73%. In Florida, 16%. In Tennessee, 24%. In Texas, just 2%. Virginia, 27%. And West Virginia, 5%. Everywhere you go, inflation fears are coming to fruition. Did you try to buy lumber? Did you get an estimate from a contractor because you have a little bit of extra money? Do you notice their numbers went up? And if they didn't, they're going to lose money on the deal? 
the milk, eggs, you go shopping, inflation is happening. First time since the 1980s it is taking place. But yet Joe Biden is continuing to want to spend. He wants $4 trillion for human infrastructure and physical infrastructure. The Republicans are saying $600 billion without raising taxes. We'll do it through fees. Joe Biden say, no, I'm going to raise it on corporations. I'm going to raise it on the horrible rich people. I'm going to get it up to 39%. And then he's going to crack down on everybody and just uh, militarize the IRS. Does that sound like it's going to help us as a country? Not at all. His, his approval rating is dropping. This is a crisis. I was fascinated to see this story, and I did this on Friday night on the 7 o'clock show. The New York Times uh, did a story on Joe Biden. They did a profile on how he's governing the first 100-plus days in. And they, believe it or not, the White House said okay. They talked to 12 current staffers and 12 former staffers, 24 interviews overall, and the portrait emerges, I'm quoting here, of a president with a short fuse who's obsessed with details to a fault. Evidently, he's driving his staff nuts. He can't make a decision. And if he uses acronyms or talk too quick, he goes crazy on you. They like it to, it's a Socratic journey before a decision. So a series of questions, he questions people to death before he talks about any major policy decision. I have news for you. In today's day and age, this might have been right for Washington or FDR, even though FDR is in the middle of a crisis. They could take time off and disappear and not have cell phones and things kind of run themselves. Not now. Why would they green light this project? And yet they're making it seem like a great idea. Look at how deliberate he is. He doesn't watch cable news as much as the other guy. That guy was making decisions. That guy would be demand accountability. And when they talk about his temper, they talked about how he blasts people. They talk here like it's a good thing that he's yelling at people with a quick temper. Look, you make your own decisions. That's not the way I would choose to lead. Not that you ever don't lose your temper. You do if you care. Sometimes just having a bad day. Seems like he's doing this all the time. Evidently, he lost it on uh, Secretary Becerra because Becerra is in charge of uh, these refugees and wanted to know, where are the answers? Where are these migrant kids? What are we doing about it? He had no answers. He said, how many of you guys have been to the border? Nobody put up their hands. They quickly went to the border. So he's got a bad staff, unmotivated, who, like him, is in denial about the border crisis. But like me and you, we know it's an absolute crisis like we never saw in our lifetimes before. That did not make me feel good about the country. He's got a crisis with the pipeline, a crisis with Israel. His left flank is all over him. And now he wants to pass this massive voting reorganization, which is going to nationalize elections. And then he wants his infrastructure bill passed on top of that. Good luck. We got to stop this guy. one 408 7669 When we come back, some calls. Uh, and then you. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Everything that he touched, that he inherited that was golden, turned to dross once he had no more excuses. He had 115 days. There was no, COVID was dying. The the lockdown was ending. Uh, Donald Trump was not there anymore. So he didn't have any other excuse but to embrace that agenda that he didn't want to embrace because he knew it was toxic. But we've had 115 days of it now, and it's not working. It's a disaster. And what are we left with? We're left basically with executive order, executive order, executive order, or let's try to let in Puerto Rico or change the process with the court packing or the filibuster or the national voter law or maybe scare everybody by saying when you go to bed tonight, there's Donald Trump or a racist under it. And that's about all there is. It's really sad. They've taken the playbook of the Oscars in the NBA, and they've doubled down on it, and they're becoming twice as irrelevant. Because you got to think about what they're doing now with this critical race theory. you got to think about what they're doing now with the, with the military. They're trying to infiltrate that 60-day crackdown to see if there's white supremacists in their midst. No, there's conservatives in their midst. Do happen to vote for Donald Trump? They're not white supremacists. I believe that the Democrats are going after the Pentagon because for the longest time, the only reason they were funded to the degree they were were Republicans. When the Republicans wanted something— they would have to give something up in order to fund the defense, the, the, the Secretary of Defense, the Pentagon. And because of that, a lot of Republicans, a lot of people who decide to volunteer in the military really appreciate it. So if you're the Democrats, how do you break that? Well, you condemn them, say any Trump supporters are white supremacists, number one. Number two, you make the CIA and other members in the national security team uh, feel as though they're not woke enough. And you start running ads of animation where you, a girl who wants to be in the military talks about being raised by two moms and the struggles that she goes to and decides to go in the military after. I don't know. It seems to me you got to get the widest swath possible with the government money and the ads and get in front of the people that are going to be successful military men and women. And I'm just wondering, what segment of the society uh, are you going for? Are you trying to be just politically correct? And we got to go out and uh, and win wars. Talking about war, that's what's happened with Israel and the Palestinians. It's really Hamas. They start out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. This whole thing, now they're complaining that they're taking a pounding. You can't have it both ways. Yesterday they sent 90 rockets out, and people are saying that it's Israel that should have a ceasefire. Forget it. About what they're doing behind the scenes, here's Jen Saki, Cut 17. Our focus, our goal, every single action we take, every statement we make is with the objective of reducing the violence and bringing an end to the conflict on the ground. There are times in diplomacy where the, we'll need to keep those conversations quieter, where we won't read out every component of it. But that is our objective, and that is the, uh, the prism through which uh, every action and every comment is being made. Okay. Uh, I have no problem with the president's stance right now and what's happening. He wants a ceasefire, but he's not demanding a ceasefire. His left wing wants them to deny the $735 million weapons sale to Israel. He's doing it anyway. Please stick to it, Mr. President. Uh, our alliance to that country is too valuable. I know they just can't steamroll all of them, but 90 rockets a day for nine straight days, sometimes 150, and you want them to look the other way? Not really. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Palestinians aren't going anywhere, no matter how much money you send to Israel's apartheid government. Israel is a democracy, the only Jewish state in the world, and our friend and ally. Many members of Congress have instead fallen back on a blanketed statement defending Israel's airstrikes against civilians under the guise of self-defense. These terrorist organizations do not care about people or peace. They seek only to destroy the Jewish state. Israel has every right to defend herself. That's the back and forth on the Senate and House floor yesterday and over the last few days. For the most part, Joe Biden has been much stronger than I thought. He's saying I'm pushing for a ceasefire but not demanding it. What's at stake? General Jack Keane knows about the dynamics in the region as well as anyone. He joins us now, Fox News contributor, uh, also the Institute for the Study of War, where he's chairman. General, so far, we're kind of hands off to a degree to me, it has a lot to do with we have nobody to talk to on the other side, right? No, there's nobody there. I mean, it's just Iranians, proxies, two terrorist organizations uh, inside Gaza. Uh, you know, Hamas, well-known. Palestinian Islamic Jihad, not as well-known. Also, their proxy in Lebanon, uh, the Hezbollah, who have, haven't fired a lot of rockets, but nonetheless, they, they have fired them. And interesting enough, uh, last week, while all of this was raining down on uh, Israel from the two terrorist organizations, all those rockets provided by the Iranians, Iranian rockets were falling in uh, in Saudi Arabia, fired by the Houthis. I mean, this is Iran proxy wars attempting to destabilize the region. And strategically, that is what we have to focus on to understand the dynamics of, of what is taking place here. Right. And what people should understand at home, when we cut off the Saudis and no longer supported their war, even though they were doing some questionable tactics with their blockade, they were trying to protect their flank. 
Yemen was lobbying. These Houthi rebels in charge of Yemen who overthrew their sitting government are lobbying rockets at them, and they are supported by, you guessed it, Iran. So when you want to bolster Iran, see what happens in the region. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, I, I think the Iranians uh, had a hand, certainly, in uh, in Hamas taking this action with the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And I say that for this reason. I, I believe they thought the Biden administration would be a duplicate of the Obama administration. And they saw some signs that indicated that. Number one is what you mentioned. Uh, we pulled away from Saudi Arabia uh, dealing with the Houthi war. Uh, in Yemen. Number two is we froze the military assets that were supposed to flow to Saudi Arabia and to uh, the UAE. We, the Biden administration had a lot of energy to get right back into the nuclear deal, and I think that was a sign. And then the, the, the culminating point was probably the fact that uh, Trump took the money away from the Palestinians because they weren't interested in making any peace agreements whatsoever, and, and Biden committed to return that money to them with no conditions whatsoever. I think the Iranian strategy was this is likely going to be another Obama administration. And and the pattern is, as, as you suggested, they would fire rockets on Israeli civilians. Israeli aircraft would return. Uh, Gaza civilians would take casualties. The United States would condemn Israel for that, and the world writ large would do the same. And as a result of it, great empathy and sympathy for the for the terrorists in Gaza. Well, that's not happening. The fact is that the Biden administration is is supporting Israel's right to defend itself, and there's bipartisan support in the Congress, despite some of uh, uh, some of the opposition from the far left. But there's genuine bipartisan support for Israel's position. The Arabs in the region are mute on this. In other words, they're not speaking out against. Israel, and the international community uh, is nowhere uh, as fired up as they were uh, back in 2014 over this. So I think the Iranians have likely miscalculated here in my judgment. And here's the irony of this. The 2015 nuclear deal, which gave the Iranians a windfall of sanction relief money, $140 billion, from that we know that they spent most of their money on their proxies in the region, which means the rockets and missiles falling on Israel today were likely paid for out of that $140 billion windfall that the nuclear deal gave them in 2015. And today, as we speak, U.S. negotiators from the Biden team are in Vienna negotiating a new deal, uh, a nuclear deal, and on the table is removing the sanctions that were imposed by the Trump administrations against Iran for supporting terrorism and the sanctions imposed against Iran for developing missiles. And take that away, and the Iranians will get a windfall of money again. Why are we continuing to make these serious strategic mistakes like this when we know what they're going to do with the money? You'll see in the evidence of, of, of what they do with it right now on television every single day. No kidding. Uh, in fact, this is what Joe Biden's up against, and I feel I fear he's going to cave. Listen to Rashid Talib, cut twenty-four. So sometimes I spell. I don't even use sometimes occupation or not because they don't understand that. What they do understand is that people died solely because of who they are, because they were Palestinian, because they were of a certain faith, whatever it is. They were completely 
eliminated, killed, and the ethnic cleansing continues now. So he's dealing with that with greater numbers that I can remember uh, in uh, on his left flank. And so far he's been ignoring it, but Joe, judging by what I hear behind the scenes, he's just slow making decisions. He could change gears, but so far he's going to green light the $735 million weapon sale. They're pushing him to uh, hold back. Is that your worry that he's going to cave to this? Well, I hope he does not. Uh, certainly, he, he feels some of that pressure. But there's huge, also, uh, bipartisan support for his, for his position. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that he, he, he stays his ground on this. And, and he, should give, he should give Netanyahu the, the operating room to be able to uh, degrade Hamas's significant military capability and the infrastructure that supports it. That is what has taken place. And I think when, the, when, they, when they have imposed that kind of cost uh, on Hamas and the uh, Islamic Jihad, then uh, Netanyahu will be ready for a ceasefire. And we should support him on that, in, in my judgment. And listen, so our audience understands the falsehood that we just heard on that tape. Hamas is firing their rockets and their missiles using their launchers in the areas of civilian communities, knowing full well the Israelis have to attack that. And they welcome the casualties because it's the casualties that gets them international sympathy. If, if they didn't want their people hurt, they would take their money and build bomb shelters. They've got nine miles of underground tunnel network that supports their fighters moving back and forth and moving ammunition back and forth. But all the people are exposed on the streets of Gaza and in their homes. It is outrageous behavior how these terrorist organizations use the very people around them as pawns to get increased international support. They want the casualties to their own people around them. Otherwise, they would take prudent measures to protect them with bomb shelters and other infrastructure as the Israelis are doing. But they're not doing right. that. So let me ask you, these these rockets worry you that they're a little bit more accurate before they are reaching some some cities? They do, they're a little bit more sophisticated than we're used to? The technology that Iran is providing them is continuously uh, improving you know, through the years in terms of range, accuracy, and also lethality. And there's tens of thousands of rockets and missiles in Lebanon in control of the Hezbollah. And that's what they were trying to move into Syria. And every time they tried to move them into Syria so they could fire weapons, these rockets and missiles from Syria at Israel— the Israel's conducted airstrikes, and that has been going on for two and a half years now. Understood. Uh, in the big picture, uh, when you look at Iran and the way they're putting it into Hamas, when the, when the dust settles, is their victory survival? Does Hamas, who is more popular than the Palestinian Authority, if they survive this, even though they've lost some leaders, do they look like winners? Well, that's what they wanted out of this, uh, certainly. Uh, and, and that and that's what uh, Netanyahu is making certain happens here. Uh, I mean, my sources tell me how, uh, Hamas has been ready for a ceasefire, you know, for a number of days now. But the Israelis don't want to fall into that trap and give them exactly what you're talking about. They want to punish them and take significant parts of their military capability away from them. And that that is what they're about. So I. I 
the military leaders and Prime Minister Netanyahu are, are clearly focused on that. And, and listen, the Arabs have walked away from Hamas and, and the uh, other terrorists in the region. Uh, they, they don't want any part of it. And they have walked away from Abbas, who's the leader of the Palestinian Authority on the West Bank. And the reason is he won't make a deal with the Israelis. He wants the status quo. Uh, he was elected in 2005, and he keeps putting off re-elections because he's, he's probably going to lose. And that's what the Arabs want. They want new leadership who's willing to work with the Israelis and not just take this donor money and pocket it. Right. And, and he's at, Abbas is an advocate for the status quo. He wants what is going on right now. He stays in power as, as his goons do around him. And that's what the Arab leadership is rejecting in the Abraham's Accord. First thing was counter Iran. Second thing is, let's find a better way to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian issue and get new leadership of the Palestinian movement. That, that's what the, their pressure is all about. Okay, we'll see how it goes. Did you have a prediction how many more days this goes on? Well, I, I, I think it, it would likely end this week uh, based on uh, military commander's intelligence recommendation to the prime minister that they've They've accomplished much of what they intended to do in terms of uh, uh, degrading uh, the terrorist capabilities. Uh, General, last question, and it's a big one. I'm seeing disaster with us leaving Afghanistan. It looks like the government's begging us to stay. They don't feel as though they have what it takes to, uh, to hold off the Taliban. How does this play out? Well, I've spoken to President Ghani. Uh, who's the president of Afghanistan, uh, as late as last week. And, and what he understands the decision, and, and certainly he's disappointed by the pullout decision. But he's what he needs, he needs U.S. contractors to take care of the Air Force that he has. He has Russian helicopters and U.S. airplanes largely. He needs U.S. contractors to take care of those airplanes. Right now, the plan is to pull them out. He also wants some drones to be able to see where the enemy is and he wants night vision goggles for his troops. So this is a president of a country getting involved in this kind of detail. You can imagine how important it is for him. And right now there are, I think, there are no concrete plans for that to happen. Everything is in the works, and, and that's what's given him concern. I'm hoping that we continue to support them militarily, even though we may not be on the ground with them. At least give them the wherewithal. Uh, to properly defend themselves against the Taliban. What is uh, what is our commitment that you know of that he's gotten? Well, most of the commitment he's got, gotten is political and diplomatic, and that's what his concern is. He, he it's in the it, it it's in the works, so to speak. Um, but this is the same tune we played once before in Iraq. You know, we're going to be there for you. We're not leaving. We're keeping our embassy here, and then we pull out. And three years later, we got ISIS, and the country was nearly overrun uh, by by something that we walked away from. And that can be the, the same disaster here. We're saying the same things. We're not leaving. We're going to keep the embassy here. We're going to support you politically and diplomatically. But they need more support than that. Uh, the United States needs to continue to provide them uh, the wherewithal to stay in the fight, even though we're not going to be physically on the ground uh, with them. General, always great, always an education. General Jack Keen, thank you. Yeah, good, good talking to you. Take care, Brian. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Shortly after the strike, we did request additional details uh, regarding the justification for it. I wouldn't want to weigh in on intelligence matters uh, in, uh, uh, in, in this form. It's not my place. Uh, I will leave it to others uh, to characterize uh, if uh, any information uh, has been shared and our assessment of uh, that information. You said that you've requested additional information. Mm-hmm. Have you received it? Have you seen it? And did you find it credible? Um, I've not seen uh, any information provided, and again, to the extent that it is uh, based uh, on uh, intelligence, that would have been shared with other colleagues, and I'll leave that to them to assess. Wow, so they haven't gotten it. They're talking about the bombing of the AP building. They gave uh, the building housing media, mainly was the AP. They did not realize, they say, that in that building was Hamas working out of there, which is hard to believe. Tom Cotton will bring that up a little bit later. Let's go to Eric W uh, W N D B over in Daytona Beach. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. I uh, I remember a while back you said that a lot of the people coming across the border were from Venezuela. Well, I had some Spanish workers in my house the other day, and I let one of them use the bathroom, and he saw my wall, and he said, "You like Donald Trump, huh?" I said, "Oh God, here it goes." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Donald Trump, the man. The Republicans are the greatest." They are not going to. He says, "No, nobody from South America is going to vote Democrat." They know socialism, and he said all the leaders live in plush uh, palaces. He mentioned Imelda Marcos with like 2,000 pairs of shoes and Chavez. And most of the people from South America, this is going to backfire on the Democrat Party, this open border thing. They're going to vote Republican. So well, then, if this never yeah. gets around, you want to shut the border. Let this get around it, and they'll shut the border. You watch. Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, they, they hate their government. Trump was tough on the government. John Bolton's plan did not work, and Marco Rubio's plan did not work, but they destabilized them further temporarily. But the reason they were sustained is because Cuba, Iran, and China, and Russia would not let up their grip. But the people are suffering, and they used to be prospering. They were the, they were the, the gold standard for the region because of the oil in which they had. That's a good point, Eric. I will keep that in mind. And what Eric is also pointing out, too, is a, a stat that came across. Over the last month, you know only 7% of the people that cross that we know of, we, obviously people are getting through, uh, that we know of are from the Triangle countries. The rest are coming from other countries like Venezuela. That, to me, goes to show you that when the vice president finally goes to, I believe she's going to go to uh, Honduras, when she goes there, she's going to be dealing with an old problem. That's called a March problem. The April-May problem is now further down in South America because people are flooding here because things are so bleak and dark for them. Here is Mayor Bruno Lozano. He's a Democrat from Del Rio, Texas, on uh, the Cavuto show yesterday on how bad things are. Democrat, cut 27. 
We had illegal aliens attempting to, to traverse the perimeter fence at one of the local schools in the southern side of the city. Um, and that school, Ruben Chavit Elementary School, had to go on lockdown temporarily just to make sure that the students were safe. So I asked I ask Congress, I asked those politicians that are out there advocating for different nations right now, stating, you know, the calm and the care that we need to provide them. What about our? What about my elementary school students? Imagine how the trauma that they're experiencing mm -hmm. having to be on lockdown for illegal immigrants coming in and trying to get into their fence line. That's ridiculous. Just like the two Democrats from Arizona, senators, they're going to keep their job if this border stays out of control. Congressman Henry Cuellar knows the same thing. I'm naming all Democrats. President Biden better wake up. We get it. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. We're heard around the country, heard around the world. The big responsibility comes with that, and I hear you. We're going to be doing a simulcast with Stuart Varney on FBN shortly. Actually, in about 50 minutes, not shortly. Senator Rick Scott coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour. He's in charge of getting the Senate back in Republican hands. That will be a, a big relief to the country, I believe, and even Democrats who are clear thinking after what we've seen so far as they try to change everything that's happening in this country from the size of the court to how we vote to, to well, making D.C. a state. They're trying to do it all and spend another $4 trillion that we don't have. And Sebastian Younger's got a great new book, very unique. It's called Freedom. As you know, he was one of the first people in Afghanistan, knew all about it before 9-11, knew about the dangers before 9-11, wrote a great book on that. Also, a New York bar owner. We'll discuss that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President and many other figures this week stated that Israel has a right to self-defense. But do Palestinians have a right to survive? And the United States must acknowledge its role in the injustice and human rights violations of Palestinians. Uh, yes, that's AOC. Israel not letting up, pounding Hamas with 60 airstrikes. Hamas not giving up 90 rockets into Gaza. President Biden not demanding a ceasefire, and I give him credit for that, but his left wing is blistering him, led by AOC. She's enraged. The whole squad is. Look for the administration to cave. Number two. Employers are begging people to work, and we shouldn't be giving extra compensation for someone to sit home. That needs to end. Uh, we ended it. We terminated Arkansas. And that is the governor of Arkansas. 21 states have filed. Yes, 21 states have rejected supplemental unemployment because we've got 8 million jobs unfilled. Gas prices rising, inflation creeping up. The border is overrun and the president's approval rating dropping right now as a picture emerges thanks to the New York Times of a volatile president unable to make quick decisions. Not a good combination. Number one. We're just not ready yet. You're asking somebody who's at, at the hardware store working there or in a retail or a grocery store to make the judgment on who's vaccinated, who's not. If we can save only one more life by waiting a couple of weeks longer, uh, I'll sign up for that. Unbelievable. What a moron. That is Governor Phil Murphy. I thought he was CEO of Goldman Sachs. He's saying that the fact is, the following the science says, being that anyone can get a 
vaccine, you should lift all restrictions, but he's holding out. Pandemic panic. The science takes you off, takes off the mask. Get back to your life, and now people are upset by that. I cannot believe it. Also, Texas dropped all those restrictions six weeks ago. Deaths down to zero yesterday. Cases all-time low. Shouldn't the president offer an apology? Well, joining us now, a man who doesn't need to be told what to do. He writes about freedom in his latest book. It is fascinating to see what he did living with a bunch of buddies across our country as if it was the 1800s instead of the 21st century and talking about uh, what freedom really is. Sebastian Younger, number one New York Times bestseller. Congratulations on your book, Freedom. Hey, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, Sebastian, always love talking to you. What a great idea. What gave you this idea? And tell everybody what you did. Well, the, first of all, I, my a couple of three friends and I walked along the railroad lines. It was a kind of high-speed vagrancy uh, along the railroad lines from D.C. to Philly, and then we turned west and headed for Pittsburgh. And we were sleeping under bridges and abandoned buildings. Um, and cooking, you know, out in the fields and cooking our food over fires. And, and we were part of society. I mean, it wasn't just a camping trip on the Appalachian Trail. We were in and out of society. The whole thing, of course, is illegal. So we had to dodge the police. And what we found, what we were able to do was encounter our country in the most sort of raw, visceral way possible. Of course, the railroad lines go through the middle of everything, the ghettos, the farms, the suburbs. So you really see what America is and and who the American people are. It was a really extraordinary trip. So you went there with two Afghan war vets. Uh, you were always in, in some type of what you saw in Afghanistan is surreal, uh, a conflict photographer. And you also flash back to earlier times in America, and say, and you uh, all your times before everything became more organized, before we had flight and technology, and you wanted to relive those moments. Were you able to do it? Well, you know, we were on foot, and and but unlike in the 1800s, we were on foot in a country that's moving, you know, 60 <laughs> miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. So, so in our sort of slowness and our smallness, we were actually. Um, uh, in a weird way, we were kind of free. We were sort of like too small to notice. So we could sleep, you know, we could sleep in the woods outside of a town and no one would know, you know, and then we'd walk into town to buy some food and keep going. And the railroad lines are this kind of weird no man's land. Uh, and uh, so, we, you know, you couldn't really do this on the roads, but on the no ma- in, in the railroad lines, you you sort of disappear. There's a lot of marginal people out there. And so I, as I say in the book um, for 400 miles, we were the only pe- every night, you know, we slept out and every night we were the only people who knew where we were. And that's, you know, that's one. There are many definitions of freedom, but but surely that's one of them. I mean, the other thing I wanted to tackle in the book is this idea of freedom. I mean, the word can be horribly misused, but it's a core human value. I mean, humans want to be free. They don't want to be bullied or dominated and controlled by a greater power. And so I tried to figure out in my book what allows humans to do that, because in the rest of the animal kingdom, pretty much the the, lar- the, 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 the larger individual will win the fight. The larger group will win the fight. And what's so interesting about humans is that in one-on-one combat, that's not true. And in, in war, that's not true. I looked at MMA statistics. Um, the larger guy in an MMA fight... Um, only wins about 50% of the time. It's, a, it's not a predictor of, of, um, of the outcome, which means that the sort of large sort of alpha male types actually cannot dominate society. And, you know, likewise with wars. If small insurgencies could not defeat an empire, 
uh, America wouldn't exist. Um, on the other side of the coin, the Taliban, who I loathe, um, that allowed them to fight us to basically to a standstill. And they very well might take over Afghanistan. But if, if the smaller groups, if insurgencies couldn't do that, there really would be no possibility for freedom in the world. But you talk about freedom being a responsibility. And you also talk about when wealth comes into fray. Um, does wealth own you or do you own the wealth? Do you own, when you own stuff, you become uh, uh, you have an allegiance to stuff. You had to protect stuff. And you compare it to maybe the Apaches. The Apaches, who had almost nothing, were almost impossible to defeat because they had almost nothing. They were very mobile. They were lethal, and they they were very focused on what they needed to do to survive. Unlike other groups, other tribes, they would be technically more wealthy and would be quick to lose. Yeah, uh, I mean, as Mike Tyson said, um, I'm paraphrasing. He said, "I was freest when I had nothing." Um, and there is a you know there is a school of thought where your your the possessions that you have are, are actually a form of of tyranny. Um, I mean, you know, listen, wealth wealth frees us from a lot of human hardship and, and danger. Um, but as I point out in the book, wealth also becomes its own dependency, and which is not a form of freedom. Um, so the, the Apaches you mentioned is a really interesting case. So when the Spanish came in to the American Southwest in the late 1500s, 1600s, um, there were two kinds of societies. There were the Pueblo tribes that lived. They were very wealthy. They they farmed. They irrigated. They lived in like literally like in towns um, on top of mesas. And uh, these mesas were just virtually impregnable. But the Spanish, of course, rolled them up almost immediately. The Apache were materially poor. I mean, they only had what they could carry because they were a, a mobile people. But their mobility allowed them to stay free, uh, to live an autonomous life almost to into the 1900s. I mean, they were finally, the last of them were finally sort of cornered and caught in 1886, you know, almost to within my grandmother's lifetime. It was their poverty, I mean, in some ways their poverty, it was their mobility that allowed them to, to, um, to, to maintain their autonomy. So my book is divided into the, the three things that allow you to maintain your autonomy, run, fight, and think. Basically, you outrun them. If you can't outrun them, you have to outfight them. And if you cannot fight them, you're going to have to outthink them. And, and, and that's where I turn to um, uh, changes in Western society as our countries and our society became more fair uh, throughout the 1900s. Well, very interesting. So you also say freedom comes with responsibility. You bring up, in fact, a life, you're in a lifeboat, you know, with three other people and you need water. You got to work together. That's part of being free, too, right? Yeah, I mean, the truth is that you, you you cannot have complete autonomy, complete freedom, and complete safety at the same time. Uh, humans that are alone die. People die almost immediately in the wilderness when they're by themselves. But, of course, in groups, not only do we survive, we dominate the world, right? We do very well in groups. We're social primates. So your safety and, and, and your livelihood often comes from the fact that you're part of a cooperative, collaborative group. But as soon as you're... As soon as you're part of a group like that, you have to abide by its norms. Um, so if you're on a life raft and you're rationing water, you actually don't have the right to drink all the water, right? I mean, you could, but you, uh, you know, you'd be thrown overboard uh, or should be. Um, so, you know, we're sort of writ large. Here we are in this amazing country, right. 300, what, 30 million people, something like that. Um, and we all have agreed that, you, that we drive on the right-hand side of the road, Right. You don't have your freedom doesn't allow you to decide, no, you know what? I prefer the left hand side. It just doesn't. So. So the big question in terms of societal control is 
when is it necessary for preserving the safety and the lives of everyone else, and when does it become petty and arbitrary? And, you know, that is an eternal sticking point, and I don't have a firm answer. You know, the right wing and the left wing have argued about this quite a lot in, in many, many forms, right? I mean, that's the central dispute, really, between the two sides of the political coin is – uh, when does that government, that line of government control become uh, petty and, and heavy handed? I, I don't have an answer, but that, that does seem to be the eternal dispute. So you do this 300 mile. We're talking to Sebastian Younger. There's nothing he hasn't done, really. Uh, 300 mile, uh, a 300 mile journey where you're writing reflectively, you know, of knowledge about history and you're also describing what you're going through. What did you discover? What was your intent when you started? I think you accomplished it. And what do you what did you discover about yourself? You used to living in raw life. I mean, you were living in Afghanistan for a while. That not it still wasn't nice then. It's not nice now. What did you discover about you and your buddies? Well, I mean, here's here's the sort of odd thing. It's like no, in sort of physical terms, Afghanistan was not nice. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I was first there in 1996 when the Taliban were taken over, and uh, and then I was with Massoud in the north in 2000 as he fought the Taliban before 9-11, and then afterwards with American troops. It's a rugged place, even for the Afghans, right? So, But, but here's the strange thing, is that what, a, a sort of adaptive human response to danger and to hardship and deprivation is that we sort of collaborate and we band together. And that collaboration, I mean, this is what makes us human, right? That collaboration feels incredibly good. You know, it feel you know it's all and you know it's like uh, in some ways analogous, I think, to parenthood. You know, having children. I have two young children. Having children can feel incredibly good. It can be aggravating, of course. You know, but but at, at its core, it's like ah, this feels right. Well, so so does participating in a group when you're up against it. And so what happens is that sort of the worse the circumstances, the more profound and meaningful the human experience is. And one of the things we've done in this society and. You know, it's an amazing society. We're all really lucky to be part of a modern Western society and part of a democracy, right? Uh, but one of the sort of negative outcomes is that our survival day to day is really not in question. And, you know, we get our food from the store. Other people build our, you know, for most of us have built the homes that we live in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in physical terms, it's it, it's not the kind of challenge that it would be for the hunter gatherers that we evolved uh, that we evolved for. Um, and the loss there is that we're not forced to collaborate in our society, um, and and that leaves people feeling underutilized yep. and meaning meaningless and alienated. Right. When you don't have to, when you have a, a, an intent on survival, you have a focus, you have a goal every day. You got to get food every single day. I got to grow my food every single day. I got to find a way to get warm. I got to find a way to get hot. Uh, uh, I had to find a way to avoid the cold. Whatever it is. But when you lose why? that motivation, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Because we've gotten wealth. And with wealth, freedom changes. How does that play into the pandemic? Here we are in 2020, we go through a, uh, to a pandemic, as opposed to 1918. I have a little bit of infrastructure. But how does this whole idea of team and working for each other play into a free society like ours? Well, I, you know, I think in, the, in 1918, uh, we're in the middle of a, of a world war, um, most of the country did not have uh, electricity or central heating. Um, it was a very, it was an agrarian society. People walked a lot. You know, I mean, just in physical terms, the American population 
was not sedentary. It was um, it it was very life was challenging, physically challenging, and people were really used to hardship. And I mean, the country was only what 130 years yeah. old, right? Coming off civil so, war, right? So the, the the idea that wow, there's a pandemic that's going to kill a lot of people, um, and we're going to have to all, make alterations in society to keep people safe. Like I mean, I didn't, I don't think that really perturbed people that much because life was already dangerous and heavily burdened with with um, inconveniences, right? And I think one of our accomplishments as a society is that we have sort of like constructed a way of living that's sort of outside of those, usually outside of those inconveniences. And I think it was a kind of shock to people that their lives depended on them constraining what they did. Yeah. Sorry, that's the human condition. You know, did the Trump or the Biden administration handle it well? Like, that's you know that's in the eyes of the beholder but the idea that we needed to do something should not be shocking you know we're animals we're humans gotcha. we've lived on the planet for a long time it's a rough neighborhood like get real if you want to have uh, read one of the most unique books you will uh ever get it, go pick up freedom it, it's quick but right to the point and really intriguing sebastian younger has done it again former new york times bestseller i think he's going to get there again sebastian thanks so much we got to come back and we got to talk afghanistan next all right that uh, sounds great. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Sebastian. Sebastian Younger. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Get this in all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I know for me personally, I'm going to continue to wear a mask in public, and I'm going to encourage others to do so. Um, We've got to make sure uh, that people are continuing to follow the public health guidance that has gotten us this far. And masks, I think, are a big and important part of that. What is she doing? Mayor Lightfoot knows the CDC, the coveted CDC, followed the science of Joe Biden, said lift the mask indoor-outdoor if you're vaccinated. This woman is vaccinated. Not only is she a terrible leader when it comes to unions, not only when it comes to crime, now she's terrible at the pandemic. Rahm Emanuel was a disaster, even though he never would admit it. This woman's worse. People of Chicago deserve so much better. And you know who's not much better? Listen to the governor of New Jersey, cut three. We're just not ready yet. You're asking somebody who's at at the hardware store working there or in a retail or a grocery store to make the judgment on who's vaccinated, who's not. Uh, We're we're not there yet. We're close. I think we're, you know, within a matter of weeks of getting to a better place. This is not remotely forever and always. This is a matter of a couple of more weeks on the clock. If we can save only one more life. By waiting a couple of weeks longer, uh, I'll sign up for that. Yeah, really? Uh, what's the rush? I think the best quote is from Chuck Todd. Governor Murphy, here's the deal. If you're in a hardware store asking somebody in a hardware store, if you show up without a mask and you're not vaccinated, it's on you. It's called personal responsibility. We don't need you to wipe our nose. You're not our father. These are the rules. We could get vaccinated. I did. Maybe you did. Maybe everybody did. But it's up to them. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think it's a big mistake. Look, I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. The last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. Well, it doesn't, and it didn't, and he was wrong. Look at Texas right now. The numbers plummeted. They kept going down, and now the rest of the country caught up to Texas like they did Florida. Senator Rick Scott joins us now. He's Senate Homeland He's on the Senate Homeland Committee and Armed Services and in charge of making sure that Senate flips back to Republicans. Uh, Senator, it's fascinating time over the last three days. Suddenly, restrictions gone. Even the blue states are being pressured, and most of them are giving in. I mean, California's waiting until June 15th, but only Hawaii and New Jersey are left with restrictions. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Open up our economy, get our schools open. Let's get back to a normal life. Everybody needs to, you know, be safe, be, take care of themselves. We all do all the time anyway. So, but gosh, we don't need government to be dictating things to us. Government needs to get out of our lives. And, you know, I always told everybody, I love my mom. I hate her telling me what to do. I do not want government to, to run my life. And that's what the Democrats want. They've you know, I think this is just like systemic socialism. They want to, they want to, you know, tax the rich, redistribute the wealth, Green New Deal, tax our First and Second Amendments. They want to take away our personal freedoms. This is, this is systemic socialism. It's just done a different way in the United States. They want to pack the Supreme Court. What is, how is this different than what they do in other countries that they head towards socialism? I don't, I don't think it is, only it's under the guise of it's an emergency, it's a pandemic. The problem is the economy was turning around. Now we're watching gas prices go up, inflation take root. The border, uh, the border. anybody who looks at the border and doesn't see it as a major problem is lying to themselves. So you don't need a situation where it's not 2008. Where the the, the economy is about to crash, we're about to use the biggest financial lose the uh, biggest financial institutions of all time. We're not being telling everyone stop working. Don't worry about the economy. How do we how do we continue get back get this country back on the right track? Well, unfortunately, we don't have an election until next November. So next November, we all have to get out and vote, and we have to say we're sick and tired of the Biden agenda. Because here's the Biden agenda: open borders, close schools, women playing in uh, men's sports. Uh, you don't support Israel, the greatest democracy in the Middle East, one of our greatest allies ever. You don't hold China, communist China accountable. You, I mean, you spend money like you're going. It's going out of style. Look at look at this reckless spending. I've been saying it for two years. Reckless spending is going to end up with inflation, and we're seeing it. I mean, 87 percent of Americans are worried about the the rising cost of goods like gas and diapers and groceries. And look at the numbers. The highest what CPI since 2008. Uh, consumer price index up 4.2% in a year. Uh, producer price index up over 6% in a year. We've got almost $30 trillion worth of debt. They're bankrupt in this country, and we've got to open our eyes. We've got to say, we've got to stop this. And by the way, people got to get back to work. We can't be paying people more not to work than to work. This doesn't make any sense. It never did. I want you to hear what the president said yesterday and how you feel about child tax credits. You did not grow up with a lot of money. 
you guys had to, your dad, your family had to fight for every paycheck. Cut 10. But I also think we need to give ordinary families a break, a tax break, to help them with the cost of raising their kids. So, as you file your taxes a day, know that your tax cut is coming. But this, here's the great news. You won't have to wait until your next year's tax return to get that break. I'm announcing today that on July 15th and the 15th of every month thereafter throughout the year, you will get deposited in your bank account half of your tax cut at least, $250 per child each month, a direct deposit into your account. So you're getting it to, for the matter of, if you have four kids, you're getting four checks if you make under $150,000. Is this something you sign, you'd like to sign on to? I mean, it was kind of shoved down Republicans' throats. Well, here's what's frustrating. Do we want to help people that need help? You better believe it. Do we want to make people dependent? No. I mean, let's. we need to have safety nets for the people that need it. But we've got almost $30 trillion for the debt. We're running multi-trillion dollar deficits. I mean, we're not, we don't, we're not spending money we have. We're borrowing money to do all these things, and we're making people dependent. And it's just like telling people, hey, don't go to work. We got not, we we're going to give you some money. I mean, you can't do this. This is, this is just pure socialism. It's, it's, a, it's a systemic socialism plan by the Biden administration and the Democrats to make everybody part of government. And then guess what happens? Government makes, makes all the rules. They'll tell you what church you can go to, what school you can go to, what you can do, how you can think, how you can talk. You, by the way, you won't be able to have a gun. You know, oh boy, you can't really go to that church. They don't really think the right way. So this is just government dictating everything. Well, uh, with the child tax credits, you guys were working on it. Wasn't wasn't um, uh, wasn't uh, weren't, weren't the Biden Trump administration working on child tax credits? Well, look, I want to make sure we help the people that need help. All right, but I want people to get back to work. I grew. Look, Brian, I grew up in a family. I lived in public housing. I watched my mom struggle to put food on the table. She didn't say, oh, Rick, I want you to grow up and become dependent on government. She said, boy, you should, uh, you know, you should aspire to be live in public housing. No. She said, get your butt out of the door. Go do well in school. Go be an Eagle Scout. You're going to go to church a lot and go get a job. Work. Work, work, work. That's how you're going to get your way up. Good education and work your tail off. That's what we we got to get back to. That's how this country was built. We didn't. This country was not built by people that said, "Oh, government's going to take care of everything." They cannot take care of everything. You cannot have a cradle of grave welfare state in a country that that prospers. It does not. There's not. They're not together. It never happens anywhere in the world. I mean, what did, what did Margaret Thatcher, uh, uh, Thatcher say? She said, "You know, they want they want to make they want they want the poor to be poor, and it's you know, they make the poor." Poor to be poor, and they don't. As long as the rich are less rich, that's all they care about. Uh, Senator Rick Scott is in charge of making sure Republicans take back the House Senate, rather. So Marco Rubio found out he's going to have competition. Val Demings, the Congresswoman and former sheriff, what's your assessment of Rubio's chances of six more? Oh, Rubio's going to win. Uh, first off, Marco's done a really good job. Uh, he's been up here 10 years. He's done a really good job. He represents the state. He really cares about the issues. Uh, so I, I, I don't think anybody in Florida could run and beat him right now. He's, he's done a good, good job. And by the way, next year, it's going to be a bloodbath for the Democrats because of their policies. I mean, the, the, you know, 
Americans don't want the socialism. They don't want the, they don't want government to run their lives. They don't want they want a secure border. They want their kids back in school. They want to get back to work. You know, they this is what they want. They don't want to kill the Keystone Pipeline. Look at what gas prices are up. Gas prices up. Household good prices up. Diapers up. Everything's up right now. I mean, you know what? You have you followed numbers? I think meat prices in one year are up 16 percent. Gas prices are up 49 percent. I think bread and grains are up 68 percent. I mean, how do you – a family like mine growing up, how do they do this? How do they get by when they their wages don't go up that fast? True. I mean, and, this, and it's all caused by the Democrat spending. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, our guest. Senator, what role are you going to have in kind of coaching the candidates? Number one, trying to maybe get some of the ones you want to run that have the best chance of winning. And also coaching them through the issues, the debates, the the funding. Yeah, Brian, here's what we're doing. So I'm the chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. So we, in the end of February, we did we put out a public poll to all the Republicans all around the country about here's what people think of the Biden agenda. Over 70 percent of Americans want these things. They want a secure border, open schools. They don't want men playing in women's sports. They don't want to shut down fossil fuel. They don't like social media. So we that's what people care about. We agree with them. So let's talk about it. Number two, I put out a poll, nationwide poll that we did in March about election security. It's not racist to ask somebody for their ID. You shouldn't have ballot harvesting. You should have to register early so you can be vetted. You should, the government shouldn't be paying for campaign ads. So that's what Americans believe in. We ought to talk about it. Uh, so we, we're, we're, we've also um, shown people how we should win the Hispanic vote. I win the Hispanic vote in Florida. We all should win the Hispanic vote because they're just like all the rest of us. They want to have a good job. They want their kids to have a good education. They want to live in a safe community. But we've got to get out and talk to them. So what I'm doing is we're talking to candidates and we're talking about talking to them about what you should what you should be talking about. And then we're saying you have to run a race. You have to have grassroots. You have to have a good message. You've got to prepare for debates. You know, you've you've got to win your election. We'll do everything we can to help you. But if you think somebody else is gonna save you, they're not. You the cavalry is you. You do a good job, we'll help you everything every way we can, but you've got to do this. What, how would you and we can win? We're gonna win big. Uh uh, real quick, how would you characterize President Trump now? I know he's moving up to New Jersey, going to be leaving Florida. It gets a little hot there. What role do you see him in 2022 having? Well, I think I think he's going to campaign. I think he's going to campaign for um, uh, for candidates that he believes in. Uh, what I've what I've suggested to him, you know, to wait, let the citizens in that state pick their their primary winner, and then help the help those that win that he he believes in. Uh, so, but you know, he believes in things I believe in. I want to have a secure border. I want to have our our schools, uh, you know, open. I want to have a great economy. So, so, and that's I think the candidates we're going to get, and I and I look forward to him supporting the candidates that he likes. Yep, and uh, very interesting because it couldn't be more of a contrast between both parties right now. That'll actually help your cause, Senator Rick Scott. Thanks so much. See you, Brian. Have a good day. Hey, listen, I'm going to be able to take some calls, but next I'll be on with Stuart Varney on FBN. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. We're about to join FBN in a matter of moments. I think Stuart's already back from a break, uh, and he'll be with us in a matter of seconds. And then at the back end of this, he'll be able to squeeze in some calls. So get on board now, one 866 408 7669. And we'll talk about a couple of things that we've been discussing. Uh, Governor Cuomo's got this new book. Uh, it was about came out about a year ago. Uh, he got a $5 million bonus. So let's listen in. We'll talk about that. Well, it'll come eventually. It is now 10.51. That means it's time for Brian Kilmeade, who joins us now. Brian, New York's Governor Cuomo, he gets $5 million for his book. Cue the outrage, Brian. What do you think of that? It's unbelievable. It's about pandemic leadership when his numbers and anyone who lives in New York who wasn't caught up in the moment like Robert De Niro or Anthony Fauci realized did a terrible job. He actually would hold press conferences where he asked himself the questions because the questions he got were so benign from the compliant press until some people from the New York Post and others would show up and ask him questions. Like, for example, why did you come out with that statement in the beginning of the whole pandemic that New York will never suffer the same fate as China? China because we've got such a great medical system and then say we don't do pandemics it's up to the federal government and then get everything you wanted not use it and have 15,000 people in nursing homes uh, die plus but to write a book about leadership who wrote on the check crown publishing what did they get from it a 50,000 books sold what did they give him $5 million of a signing bonus. What did he do? Asked his staff to help him during business hours is the allegation. If that isn't unethical, I don't know what is. How does he sleep at night? Uh, well, I, I can't answer that question. I think he should have some difficulty sleeping. Here's another one for you. How are we supposed to come back to New York City or other big cities in the country? Because I asked this question, New York City had 50 people shot last week, 50, eight dead. How do you expect to bring people back to New York City, open it up again with crime spiking like that, Brian? Absolutely. And this mayor who took a billion dollars out of the police budget, got rid of the anti-crime unit, the anti-homeless unit, so now no one even has keeping track of who the homeless are, where they go, where they can go and where they should go. So he's got rid of all that. Then he delays an academy, two academies. Now when it comes to recruiting police back, Stuart, they can't fill up the academy. They have so, they're making all these offers and no one's taking them up, especially when it comes to transit. Those are the ones in the subway system. They say there's more presence there, but they're not there. They say they're going to run them 24 hours a day. Good luck with that. Stay on the street. It's tough enough. Do not go down to the subway. It all starts with law and order. That's what the people of Portland, that's what the people of Seattle uh, understand, but that's what the politicians don't. That's why I tell you, watching us around the country, around the world, New York does not deserve your tourist dollars. They have not secured this city like they're capable of doing. They have not invested in law enforcement. They diminish law enforcement. And I talk to these men and women regularly. I go through Penn Station every single day. They will not travel by themselves. They're there in pairs because this mayor and this governor has put a target on their back because they never support the law enforcement. Therefore, these people feel they can get away with anything. I'm not talking about the good people. I'm talking about the ones that just want to create havoc. They've been brought uh, they've been brought under control by Ray Kelly. They've been led out of control from uh, from this current administration who do not back the men in blue and the women in blue. It's going to be a tough summer in New York City, if you ask me. 
And I think they're staffing up for some, uh, some serious rioting. I think that's what they're doing. All right, Brian, thanks for joining us. See you again real soon. Thank no you, doubt sir. about it. Go get him, Stuart. Quick one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Don't think I'm kidding either. I'm not exaggerating at all. Every day I'm talking to police officers, and they feel totally underappreciated. Uh, they're not wearing their uniforms to work to ride the subway system. They can't fill up the academies. They're looking around, saying, "Why do I want to do this?" Also, keep in mind, they go out the way the pension system works here. You, they take your last year in which you work, you know, whatever that is, and they figure out what your pension's going to be from that. So you want to work as many hours as possible in your last year. Last year with all the riots and with all the demands with the pandemic coming in, you know who worked? Supermarket workers, obviously, but cops. And a lot of them died. A lot of them got sick and had to come, come came back, got exposed, and had to go back to their families, which put their families in jeopardy. But they work so much overtime with all the BLM riots and all the Antifa crap that's going on. Their numbers are through the roof. So this is the year between all the negativity that's coming raining down on them and all the overtime they worked, they're going to get out. Look to mass resignations in June, partly because of this mayor. And I'll tell you, hope is not on the way. The cavalry is not coming. Did you see the group of mayoral candidates? Not a Republican among them with a chance, number one. It doesn't seem, although Curtis Lee will certainly... Uh, he's a guy uh, who understands the city, volunteers to police the city with the guardian angels, would understand how to run things, understands about being fiscally responsible. He also understands, uh, sadly, uh, because he was almost killed by it, uh, organized crime. So he would be in there, but right now he's trailing big time. Eric Adams is now leading. Uh, Stringer's now second. He's got a bit of a scandal brewing. And now Andrew Yang has dropped to third, and everybody feels the same way. Most of the New Yorkers say over 50 percent have a positive view of the law enforcement. But all these uh, different candidates seem to think by reining in and reimagining police, that's going to be the way to go. Even Eric Adams, who served, which I find really uh, disheartening. But that's what's that's what's happening in the city. Keep in mind, too, the worst combination possible. You have Joe Biden wrote a check to the city from our wallets, wrote a check to the city and from our accounts for what they say is they did it in proportion to the unemployment. So we got a huge uh, check thanks to Senator Schumer and his power, which means, according to Senator Schumer, you should not raise taxes, Governor Cuomo. But for him to keep his job, he had to keep the left quiet. And what do they want? They want to raise taxes. What did Governor Cuomo do? He's raising taxes despite getting this money. Tell me, just to explain to me why it is that you should come here with your tourist dollars and reward people here from uh, reward people here by coming here. Make sure you get good governance before you come in. If they're going to take 60% of your income, you got to get at least law and order in return, don't you think? Maybe pick up the trash. Is that possible? Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Order the podcast like so many are. We're up to 500,000 downloads. Amazing. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Thanks so much Kilmeade. for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. One of the rising stars on the Republican side in the House. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis will be with us. Also, we'll get her to weigh in on Governor Cuomo. The mounting scandals there as more evidence comes in that this guy is ethically bankrupt. And hopefully this investigation is going to be thorough, clean, uh, with an honest objective. Because why he still has a job is beyond me. So uh, before we take your calls at one 408 Let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President and many other figures this week stated that Israel has a right to self-defense. But do Palestinians have a right to survive? And the United States must acknowledge its role in the injustice and human rights violations of Palestinians. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Congresswoman AOC. Talking about Israel being the bad guys. They are not letting up. They are pounding Hamas in 60 airstrikes already. Uh, There are 90 rockets volleying back from Gaza. President Biden not demanding but requesting a ceasefire. But his left wing wants this uh, condemnation to come from the White House. The squad is enraged. Will he cave? Number two. Employers are begging people to work and we shouldn't be giving extra compensation for someone to sit home that needs to end Uh, we ended it we terminated arkansas Uh, there you go asa hutchinson 21 yes 21 states have rejected supplemental unemployment payments even though the white house doesn't want them to eight million jobs remain unfilled gas prices are rising inflation is creeping up the border is overrun and the biden's approval rating is dropping although still over 50 percent dems and his administration are in a true crisis point do they realize it Number one. We're just not ready yet. You're asking somebody who's at at the hardware store working there or in a retail or a grocery store to make the judgment on who's vaccinated and who's not. If we can save only one more life by waiting a couple of weeks longer, uh, I'll sign up for that. Right. Uh, Governor Murphy, what are you talking about? If you work at a hardware store and you're vaccinated, it doesn't matter. All the onus is on that person. He is New Jersey and Hawaii, the only two states not to lift all restrictions or at least put it on the docket. For New York, it'll be on the 19th. For California, on the June 15th. Not sure why. But the pandemic panic. As everyone is told, you can drop by the CDC, drop the restrictions. People are hesitant. They're doubting the science. And for Texas, who did it in March, and we're told that Neanderthals and Mississippi, the same thing, this is your vengeance. Joe Biden, you said you would apologize when you were wrong. I'm waiting for you to admit you are wrong. And also when it comes to uh, to wrong, extending, putting the, uh, passing that last rescue package was a disaster. It's really the, the, the basis of all this inflation we're looking at. If you're trying to put a dormer on your house, you're trying to make your garage a little bigger, you're trying to buy a new house, everything is more expensive from the copper to the lumber. From your milk to your eggs to the gas you buy, it's all related to the unnecessary printing of money. We're about to have this economy come roaring back, and it's not. Here's Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina. Talks about this unexpended, this extended unemployment insurance. Cut 28. At the end of June 30th, there will be no programs that... Uh, typically, they, people have, have been able to get. In South Carolina, you can get unemployment insurance payments are 326 a week. Yeah. If you're able to prove that COVID caused you to go out of work, you get $300. That's $626, $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, government should not be doing that uh, to compete. 
Oh, that's a big one. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio feels the same way. Cut 30. Enhanced unemployment benefits are creating an incentive for people not to return to work until they expire. It's not because people are lazy. I'm not accusing anyone of being lazy. It's because people are logical. Because it's logic that if you're going to make close to what, or as much, or in some cases more than what you do when you're at work, you'll go back to work when that expires. We have a labor crisis in this country. We need 800,000 jobs a month, every month filled, in order to get back to where we were before the pandemic. With these policies, I don't know if it's even possible. And they think that the good news is, being that we're seeing that the restrictions are being lifted, the CDC is seeing to that, and maybe they pushed it up because the news has been so bad for Joe Biden. He wanted some good news and be able to distract us from the ransomware that stopped the East Coast from getting gas, oil, and jet fuel. But it's boomeranged in that now you want us to go past this infrastructure bill full of human infrastructure, uh, free college, free pre-K. And now the facts of the matter is we don't have the money. The government is reacting. The, uh, the economy is reacting by inflating the dollar, diminishing the, the amount the dollar is worth. Therefore, adding $4 trillion to this mess obviously would only make things worse, I think. 800,000 jobs then the way to do it is not to give out money. When it comes to the coronavirus, before I was referring to the fact that 40, uh, 48 states have answered the CDC and said, okay, we'll go with your guidance, including New York starting on the 19th. That's tomorrow. Governor Phil Murphy expands on why he says New Jersey is not ready. And see if you could figure out at home the folly of his ways. Cut three. We're just not ready yet. You're asking somebody who's at at the hardware store working there or in a retail or a grocery store to make the judgment on who's vaccinated, who's not. Uh, We're we're not there yet. We're close. I think we're, you know, within a matter of weeks of getting to a better place. This is not remotely forever and always. This is a matter of a couple of more weeks on the clock. If we can save only one more life. By waiting a couple of weeks longer, uh, I'll sign up for that. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's not about saving a life. I mean, every day you might be going into the subway in New York City. That's taking a risk. Go down a one-lane highway with traffic coming the other way. That is a risk. If you worry about your kids, we've got to get the masks off these kids. They're more apt to get the flu and die than get the COVID-19 and die. If they get the symptoms, say they could be carriers, but they're not going to feel much. And yet we're debating whether they should be vaccinated or not. And now people are debating whether the school should be open or not. He's debating whether a state should be open or not, period. The problem is the messaging, the way it was done. Two days prior to the announcement, you had... No way. We're not ready. we got to be patient. This is almost over. And then we hear it is over. Dr. Jerome Adams, the former Surgeon General, not shy about admitting the communication was absolutely awful. Cut six. Here's what people need to know. There's individual risk and there's institutional risk. Individually, if you are fully vaccinated two weeks out from your last dose, then the additional benefit of you wearing a mask or social distancing is minimal. However... If you're going into an institution, uh, a facility, an organization, a store where you don't know who else is vaccinated, where everyone doesn't know whether or not the person next to them is vaccinated, then it becomes incumbent on that institution to create an environment where people feel safe. If you're vaccinated, don't worry if the guy next to you is vaccinated. We should be selling out Madison Square Garden. You should be able to go to a baseball game maximum. If you're not going to get vaccinated, it's because you chose not to. It's not that you didn't get it yet. You chose not to. 
And if you chose not to or you have to, you can't get off work, you're working seven days a week, you're in your own business, wear a mask. Be measured about how you do things. Think last May instead of this May. But do not stop the whole country from going back to work. So here's the deal. You no longer have an economy that's humming, that's on the comeback trail. The 266,000 jobs instead of about a million jobs is proof of that. Now you watch inflation go up. You watch the gas lines form. You see the way the president acted so slow and plotting and didn't even announce that they paid a $5 million ransom fee. It's incredible. Ari Fleischer on where the economy was and where it is. Cut 14. And what I find so distressing about Joe Biden is he has reversed so many of the policies that led to a blue-collar, working-class boom in America. You know, Donald Trump, prior to the pandemic, had led an economy where the poverty rate was the lowest since 1959. Child poverty was dropping. Poverty for women was dropping. Unemployment for Hispanics and blacks dropped. Wages up for low-income and middle-income people even more than for upper-income people. This is what we wanted in America. And Joe Biden is doing everything in his power to reverse economic growth, reverse security at the border, and reverse security abroad. Look what's happening in Israel. And by, These are the worrisome things I see, but it still is going to come chilling. back to the economy fundamentally. And by the way, Bernie Sanders evidently not happy with some things. For example, the minimum wage. He is going to start being more aggressive coming after Joe Biden. Can you imagine if he's malleable to the far left? Reason why Bernie Sanders didn't get elected, why AOC is lucky to get elected in Queens and nowhere else. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis knows all about this. The challenges of working in a blue state, but in a red district. She's a Republican in the 11th. Back in a moment with her. And then your phone calls at one 408 7669 It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The nursing home order and cover-up, you're talking about the loss of life. You're profiting off of... Really, I mean, this is blood money, profiting off of uh, the suffering physically, emotionally, financially of your constituents, uh, of New Yorkers. Uh, what he should have done this time last year was show remorse, publicly apologize for the mistake of his order, be transparent with the public. He said he was too busy to provide that transparency, but he wasn't too busy to go after this multi-million dollar self-congratulatory book no, deal. Just, so it has New Yorkers outraged. Yeah, Lee Zeldin is going to run for governor. Uh, I hope God the governor doesn't even try to run for election. I hope he gets ousted before he's done. He is an arrogant, self-important, unaware person who has nine separate sexual harassment accusers. Now he's got ethics violations with this $5 million advance Crown gave him. Uh, this was a bidding war, apparently, for a book that nobody bought. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis joins us. Congresswoman, I'm getting so concerned that, that Cuomo's going to beat this thing. I feel better that this came out. Are you outraged that someone would write him a $5 million check for his leadership during a pandemic, which seems to be a disaster? <laughs> you know, it, it just seems mind-boggling to me that this is where his focus was during the height of the pandemic. It wasn't like this was, you know, following the pandemic or when things had calmed down. It was actually the height of the pandemic that he was worried about writing a book instead of leading 
through this crisis and getting New York back on its feet, getting safe places for our elderly residents in, in our senior uh, facilities, uh, making sure that we didn't destroy the economy. You know, th this, this is, uh, it really is outrageous that this was where his attention was at that time. And I think that, you know, people should continue to add their name and enoughcuomo.com. If, if you are sick and tired of Governor Cuomo and this failed leadership, they need to go to enoughcuomo.com. And I'm also glad that you had Congressman Lee Zeldin on because I think he will make a fantastic governor and really right this ship. And we really do need that type of leadership right now for New York because it has become a place of high taxes, of deteriorating quality of life, of skyrocketing crime. And the only way we're going to fix that is if we elect a Republican next year as governor, uh, somebody like Ron DeSantis. And I think that Lee Zeldin has that in him. What about governor, uh, what about go gubernatorial candidate Andrew Giuliani, who declared today? Look, uh, Andrew's a, a great guy. I know him uh, well. And I, I just think that we need to really be focused if we are going to win this. It's hard enough being a Republican in New York State. And, uh, you know, it's my understanding that Rob Astorino is also uh, going to be throwing his name in uh, the ring. I really do believe at this point we need to line behind uh, Lee Zeldin. He's a proven leader. He's a great member of Congress. It's going to be a major loss to the House of Representatives. But he can maximize the vote in Long Island. Uh, being that he's from there, which was always where we fell short. Uh, I could certainly help him in my district of Staten Island and, and southern Brooklyn. Uh, and I think that, you know, we've lost population. We believe that's a lot of our voters that have left the state. So if we are going to be successful next year, we need to all be rowing in the same direction. Lee has an advantage already, not just uh, being a, an incumbent a Congress member, uh, with really good ideas. And, and he's just a, he's a dynamic person. Um, and he has a military background as well. Uh, so he's a very strong candidate, but he's also garnered significant support from the Republican and conservative party to have those nominations locked in. So let's all mm. row in the right direction. Let's all just help win. Uh, and, and, and that would be what's in the best interest of the people of New York State. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if Andrew's listening to you because he just declared today. Uh, I want you to hear you're in the national scene. And you're a member of the Foreign Affairs uh, and Transportation Infrastructure Committees. And everybody's focused now between Israel and Hamas. They hit, uh, they sent in 90 rockets yesterday. I imagine it's going to hit that number again. 60 airstrikes from fighter jets from Israel. But Congresswoman uh, Jayapal has a different view on who the bad guys are. Cut 23. Looking for a ceasefire. I think that's what the administration should be working on, and I don't think this is the right time to be sending more military equipment without a real guarantee of a ceasefire. So she wants a ceasefire, and she wants to stop the $730 million uh, worth of weaponry that they bought from us. Do you think that'll happen? Well, well, first of all, I'd like to know where she was when the Obama administration was giving $1.9 billion to Iran, who's now fueling and funding the Hamas terrorist activities. Uh, but secondly, I don't believe that there's going to be a slowdown of that weapons sale. Uh, there was a, 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 some talk yesterday, uh, but now the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, who was questioning whether we should move forward, has now said he's going to not uh, send a letter to, to try to slow it down, and that he will support President Biden uh, completing okay. the sale, which is important for our number one ally. So it, it is interesting how things had sort of uh, changed overnight in this. But there is that group of uh, individuals within the Democratic House uh, that are looking to uh, vilify Israel the Palestinians. Here. here is here's AOC. Cut twenty five. 
president and many other figures this week stated that Israel has a right to self-defense, and this is uh, a sentiment that is echoed across this body. But do Palestinians have a right to survive? And the United States must acknowledge its role in the injustice and human rights violations of Palestinians. This is not about both sides. Really? I mean, can you ever see uh, American policy more turned on its head than those series of statements? Well, I mean, particularly when, it, you know, Hamas is, is a terrorist organization uh, that is, is launching these rockets. Uh, they are using children and uh, women and children as shields. Uh, and they are as offensive to the Palestinian Authority as they are to the United States and Israel. I mean, everyone seems to have an agreement there that they are a terrorist organization. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know why they, they are defending someone who has been on our terrorist, uh, foreign terrorist list since the mid-1990s. And they started the whole thing again. I mean, it was over the expulsion of six, uh, six homes, people from six homes over in the West Bank. You could debate that. But next thing, you know, hundreds of rockets are coming from Hamas. Uh, the question is, with this administration leaning towards Iran, that's who gives the missiles to Hamas. Do you worry about the, the long, uh, the wherewithal of the Abraham Accords with the UAE and Israel, as well as Bahrain and Israel, Sudan and Israel? Uh, of course. And I, and I would say this, this wouldn't be happening if President Trump were president today. Uh, there was so much success with the Abraham Accords. Uh, Iran was uh, feeling isolated. Uh, they, Israel was garnering allies that they didn't have before. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, like we're seeing in other parts of the world, whether it be, you know, China aggression with Taiwan, whether it be Turkish aggression in the Aegean and Mediterranean, uh, whether it be Russia and Ukraine, we're seeing that this administration is being tested and they seem to not be passing these tests very well. So I'm glad yeah. at least that the president is standing firm so, so far. far on the sale, sale of, the, of, the, of the weapons in support of our number one ally in the region. Congresswoman, thanks so much. Uh, Nicole Maliotakis for WABC, WRCN, WLIR. Appreciate you seeing me in the area. Thank you. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. That job situation is something that the Democrats and the president need to be worried about. I mean, when you have an economy that is supposedly in trouble and beginning to grow now, and jobs are going begging, that is an undesirable situation, and that is where we are. There, you know, places I've been there, there are help wanted signs out everywhere, and, and they can't find people to work. Yeah. And work isn't getting done, and the economy cannot really fully grow unless people can find, you know, workers to do the jobs that they need done to produce the products and, and the goods and services. So that is a genuine concern. Um, and you know, all the money the federal government has been shoveling out to people because of the pandemic seems to have caused or at least helped to cause that problem. Serious. And then you add in the fact that some people are still nervous about going back to work and others say, uh, you know, others say, you know what, I, I don't really want to work uh, or I, they have a career retrospective and say to themselves, you know, I've, I had a chance to have a quality of life and I'm not sure I want to do this again. 
And then you have an administration that just wants to spend and say it's okay. And it's just this combination that led to 266,000 jobs under normal times. It's a pretty good jobs program. But now when you had unemployment about 9% at one point, maybe higher, now it's down to about 6%. Now it's got to add 800,000 a month for us to get back to normal. And you had 266. That's a a huge issue. At least 7 million Americans are in line to receive 10,200 unemployment uh, in a tax break. That's $1.9 trillion. That, uh, that, remember that stimulus plan that we put out? Well, that was done, signed by pure Democrats, right? They deserve all the credit and discredit. They are now waive, now 10200 is going to be in unemployment benefits. Uh, unemployment benefits are going to be uh, in terms of a tax break for families. Now you have a family leave program, and I think that's going to be uh, quite interesting because now you have a lot of working class people who could use a break, but now if you have three kids, you're going to get uh, you're going to get X amount of dollars. Dollars we don't have that's going to go into your account. What are you going to do with it? How's it going to go? You didn't earn it, but now under this new administration, attempt to get votes perhaps or reorganization of the economy, that's what they plan on doing. That's what Joe Biden was talking about uh, yesterday. That's what he was talking about because he's very happy about that. That's going to kick in, he said, to yesterday was tax day. So he said it's going to kick in about July, uh, the 15th, I believe he was saying. So that should be fascinating to see what happens with our economy at that point. And I say that knowing that inflation is going to play a big role. So here's Biden do- detailing his child tax credit direct payment plan. Cut 10. But I also think we need to give ordinary families a break, a tax break to help them with the cost of raising their kids. So, as you file your taxes a day, know that your tax cut is coming. But this, here's the great news. You won't have to wait until your next year's tax return to get that break. I'm announcing today that on July 15th and the 15th of every month thereafter throughout the year, you will get deposited in your bank account half of your tax cut at least $250 per child each month, a direct deposit into your account. Well, we'll see what people do with it. I mean, see, this is the break they need to get them over the hump. Fine. But I I just cannot believe how much money we're putting into the system. And he wants $4 trillion more. You wonder what his ultimate objective is. So they did a poll and found that uh, Joe Biden remains relatively popular with the American people. Uh, far more popular, for example, with President Trump at this time. But remember, the Russia investigation was there, and all you know, Hillary Clinton insisting he didn't really win. Yet Biden's current job approval is at forty-nine percent, five points lower than it was in April. His disapproval is forty percent. That's three percent higher. So that's not going to be good at this point. You, Barack Obama was in the sixties at this point. The New York Times did this story on Friday that many people got on on late Friday, which is really a Saturday's issue. And they talked to 24 current and former staffers about what kind of what is he doing? What's he like behind the scenes? It turns out that he is, quote, they're trying to put a positive spin on it. They said the inside story is. He angers allies and enemies with long delays on all decisions. A portrait emerges, according to this story, of a president with a short fuse who is obsessed with details, sometimes to a fault. And you wonder, is that what's happening at the border? He's so obsessed with details he can't get anything going? Is that what's happening right now with the economy? Is he un- and with the pipeline? Is he not understanding that these lines are long, that the prices are going up and he needs quick, swift action? Kevin McCarthy weighed in. He wants to be the next speaker. If this continues, it's almost a lock. Cut 13. Inflation 
taxes every single American, especially affects those with the least income the most. Yet President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, and other Democrats still want to tax and spend more. These proposals reflect a fundamental difference between Republicans and this new socialist Democrats. Republicans believe that there is dignity and value in hard work and risk-taking. Democrats believe that process comes by forcing people to be dependent on their government. That's not progress, to force somebody to be dependent on government. I don't think so either. You want I want to control the decisions you make. I think fundamentally we have to get back to the, the glory of work and capitalism and competing. And sometimes you lose and sometimes you don't get that job. And sometimes your business through no fault of your own, like a pandemic, goes belly up. So you, feel, you get your contacts, you move on, and you see what you can do next. That's the value of freedom. And uh, the, uh, you have the option to fail and succeed. Anthony living in Albany. Hey, Anthony. Brian, good morning, man. Hey, listen, so, I, so I'm in Albany, and uh, this is the state's, you know, the, New York State is the largest employer in the capital region here. And uh, I also work for an organization. We do a lot of contract work with the state. And, and number one, we not only can we not find employees right now, we have about 120 open positions that we simply cannot fill. Even with college kids there? Oh, my gosh, yes. It's, it's horrible. And the bigger problem, though, is like a good portion of my neighborhood works for New York State. They've been home for 12 months. Um, and although they say they're working from home, they're not equipped to work from home. So, uh, you know, the, basically what it is is they're getting paid to be home. So if you visit any one of these buildings at the Empire State Plaza, since last March 23rd, I think the date was, they've been a virtual ghost town. There's probably 10% of the people working. And, uh, and there's no signs of them coming back. The CESEA. Uh, the PEF, those are the two biggest unions here. They're fighting like hell to make sure that they continue this, this vacation. But then to compound the matter is if you work for the state, the majority of your benefit time, your paid time off, is transferable from year to year. And I don't know if there's a maximum accumulation. But So now the bigger problem on top of all this are people, they're not using any of their paid time off. And these costs are just going to continue to compound over time. And the governor has never addressed it, nor has anybody pressed him on the efficiency of, of the state and how they're getting things done. Anthony, thanks so much. Appreciate it. That's why you got to get a Republican in there to balance out this whole Democratic state. You can't go in there and say, this is what I want. You can't be the absolute monarch, but you can have your voice heard. And people want to change because this current climate, this economic climate, it's not working for anyone. Who says, I want to run on the platform of spending more, for all of you to spend more on everyday goods from lumber to gas? That's what Joe Biden's saying. Lee Zeldin wouldn't be saying that. one 408 We'll be back to find out if you need to know more. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Everybody likes my wife more than they like me. It's uh, like if we're on a group text, she's the one that gets the ha-has. And I was just kind of wondering, like, can, can you relate to that at all? Like, <laughs> dude. Now, first of all, why do you think I can relate to that? Yeah, I, that's, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's an outrageous oh, question, Nick. Yeah, I, I see the subtext here. Um, <laughs> sadly, I can relate. And uh, 
I, I think that, uh, you know, you can try to be funnier uh, or more charming, uh, but that's probably a losing battle. Uh, it's helpful, by the way, if you have a, a, a joint bank account so that when she outsells you in, in books, uh, you don't feel bad about it. <laughs> so that was uh, James Corden had President Obama on? For a long time, too, yeah. Yeah, so I guess it was almost a whole hour. And who was the question from? Was one of, one of the Corden staffers? Yeah, they went around the room and had all the staffers ask him a question. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so Barack Obama really was outsold significantly by Michelle Obama. I don't think they made money on that deal. And plus, he hasn't edited it all. He made it two volumes. The guy's only like in his 50. Is he even 60? I mean, FDR didn't have two no, volumes. No, I don't think so. I think he's still, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Let's find it. No, he's probably 60. Uh, let's find it. There's need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Well, you just heard James Corden. Uh, that's kind of interesting for Barack Obama to choose that show, by the way, because that is the Late Late Show, right? It is, you know, it's the show that used to follow Letterman. It follows Stephen Colbert. So it's only getting like a 1-0. I know I'm, I'm, I think he's the best on late night, but I am surprised he went on there. It's just a nice, easy, relaxing thing for him to do. I guess he didn't want to you know hard questions, just right. having a relaxing He atmosphere. loves Letterman. For some reason, Letterman loves him, and he loves Letterman. It's kind of weird. Let's find out. Let's keep going. Hey, Speaker Pelosi extends House remote voting to July 3rd. This is pure convenience. What really bothers me is she's making everyone still wear masks on the floor. Are you kidding me? I mean, They're supposed to be leaders. At this point, by July 3rd, I mean, come on, they should be doing this now. They should be back full force right now. Unless the person, for some reason, is not vaccinated, yeah. that's an excuse. Fine. You know, the White House is sending U.S. authorized vaccines overseas. This is good. Look, everyone can get one. It's we're getting. We were over 3 million for a while. Now we're just about 2 million vaccinations a day. The U.S. will share 20 million doses of domestically authorized coronavirus vaccines. The vaccines will consist of doses from Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. The move is in addition to a previous commitment to send 60 million AstraZeneca vaccines, which, by the way, we have not approved, so it's no loss to us. We should have approved it. By the way, there's another vaccine coming. So we could really be vaccinating the whole world soon. It's a great, great thing to do. It's, again, it's one thing if we did not have enough vaccine to, for our population. But if the demand is down yeah. and supply is high, we should be helping everybody else. Yeah, well, other thing, what is going on with Japan? Japan, I thought, beat this thing. And now they're getting a resurgence to the point where they might not have the Olympics. Next, I had 800 and, uh, let me see, I, I think I had... 18,000 followers on Parler. And that's and now, for a short time. Right, yeah. And it's back on iPhones now. Social media app returns to, they did a deal, I think. Parler, which was banned the day that President Trump was banned, uh, will uh, remove from iPhones and Android devices, which means you're really dead in the water. In a statement, Parler announced its app has relaunched an Apple device after months of productive dialogue. As part of the deal to return to the App Store, Parler app will... Uh, exclude some current content normally allowed in the social media company's platform. The question is, can President Trump go back on that? Yeah, right? That, I mean, theoretically, he should, but then if Apple, I mean, if... Uh, He's got to go back? Yeah. If he what, goes back, I'll go but back. But now what if Apple says, you know what, he posts something, we don't like it. If you don't remove him, then we're taking you off again. What I happens? know. We'll see what happens. Next. Uh, ousted Space Force officer says he's been misportrayed, receiving thousands of notes from troops. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lothmeyer formerly the commander of the 11th Space uh, space Warning Squadron at Buckley Air Force Base in Aurora, Colorado, was ousted from his position, he says, uh, because he spoke up against critical race theory. 
He said he told Fox News he retained his rank, but has been reassigned with the Space Force. Let's hear from him. He wrote a book, is now number one on Amazon. The trainings we're receiving in the military via that industry are rooted in critical race theory, which right. is rooted in Marxism. It's intended to be divisive, and yet we, 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 we spread it about the military services, pretending like it's going to unify everyone. Wow. He goes on. I've made that very clear to my own people that in the light of a hyper-politicized environment that I've seen since taking command, and I'm no longer in command, uh, I will not tolerate any discrimination of any kind based on politics, for example. And so let me give you one example of what I saw uh, in the past 10 months when I was in command of a unit. Uh, there were videos being sent out to every base uh, service member that we were asked to watch in preparation for our extremism down days and uh, discussions on race in which we were taught that the country was evil, that it was founded in 1619 and not 1776, and that whites are inherently evil. And so I speak up against those things in my book. Unbelievable. And now his book is number one on Amazon, and people are pushing back at the Pentagon, but I'm not. I thoroughly believe it. If you look at the ads that have been put out, you see what the CIA is putting out to recruit. You see what the Army's put out to recruit. It's sickening. It's not that it's a bad message, but it's not the military message. You got the number one, we're the number one superpower in the world. We need the best of the best. All different types of skill sets, I get it. But you want to get the widest swath possible with the money that's been allocated for advertising and marketing. That's it. You're competing with a lot of occupations. Sen, I just feel as though this is an ultimate plan. The Democrats want to win certain things over. They want to control how you vote. But they also want to control the Pentagon. For the longest time, the Pentagon had the popularity of the Republicans because the Republicans always went to bat for them. And conservatives, for the most part, fought for the country because they bleed red, white, and blue. And there's not as much patriotism on the left. This is a way to get to the fundamental foundation of Republican support in the military. Next, let's talk royals because I cannot believe what's going on right now. It turns out Prince Harry has got a problem with the pride of America, the First Amendment. Remember when he said this? I got so much I want to say about the First Amendment. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're... I, I still don't understand it, but it is bonkers. I don't want to start sort of going down the First Amendment route because that's a huge subject and one of which I don't understand because I've only been here for a short period of time. But you can find a loophole in anything mm -hmm. and you can capitalize or exploit what's not said rather than uphold what is said. But he went on to say he doesn't understand it. So why are you commenting on that? Why not say in the area of curiosity, what I love about America is you got this First Amendment. I don't thoroughly understand it. But the fact that you have the freedom to say whatever you want to say with the responsibility to it, I think is intriguing and it's been inspiring for the rest of the world to look up to and maybe aspire to and maybe come here to experience. Piers Morgan, who got fired because he didn't believe the royal family was racist, said this. I didn't think Harry could get lower than trashing his grandmother as she mourns Prince Philip. But the spineless, self-pitying twerps attack on free speech makes him look bonkers, not the U.S. Constitution. Uh, so I th think that he is alienating a lot of people. Good luck with Dax Shepard on his podcast. Good luck with Oprah Winfrey. But if you want to be successful in America, you got to win over Americans, not the Hollywood, not actors and, and talk show hosts. You know, it's, it's interesting. I know you and Allison have said it many times, but a guy that wants his privacy speaks out a lot about his family. Right. So, so where's the privacy that he craves when he's always 
bringing up and, I guess, throwing his own family under the bus in a public way. It's unbelievable he's doing this. He said, I went to my therapist to realize how repressed I was. Good luck with that. I did like what Piers Morgan did also say, too, about one of the things he admires most about the United States is the First Amendment, yeah. which is the cornerstone to our freedom. Next, Pennsylvania State Troopers Union demands Governor Tom Wolf apologize for remarks. Uh, Tom Wolf came out and said, uh, we're going to celebrate Juneteenth, which is when the slaves were free. He wrote on, going on to say, sadly, the continued death of African-Americans at the hands of police are painful reminders that racism and intolerance are still with us today. Fantastic. Quote from the cops. Let me be clear. Pennsylvania State Troopers support Juneteenth. Well, Wolf, uh, for, Gulf, for Governor Wolf to use his platform to further push a false narrative that police are racist murderers is nothing less than the worst kind of political pandering. Quote, it it's only serves to further divide our nation at the expense of officers who already work incredibly dangerous jobs. No kidding. Well said. I think the people of Pennsylvania deserve better. You try it with Democrats, that's what you get. You get lockdowns and pandering. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com. Order the podcast. This is where you get the show anytime, anywhere. Keep it here. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.